Dr. Danny, was that us coming out of a club I just heard? It's my favorite song. I think it's time to have us back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. Uh, with Let Dr. me back up from the mic there. Welcome to Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. With Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. That's Dr. Rick. And that's Dr. Danny. And I don't know how this happened, but uh, apparently of the five, I think, listeners we had to the first podcast, there was enough positive reviews to bring us back for another episode. Producer Brenna, do you have any thoughts? Um, let's just keep going. We'll see how this one goes. See if we get brought back for three. Producer Brenna doesn't like being put on the spot, Dr. Rick. That was the worst positive reinforcement I've heard all day. (laughs) And I have a toddler that requires more positive reinforcement than I just got from Producer Brenna. On a side note, can I tell you a dad joke? Do I really have a choice? No, No, you don't. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? I don't know. Supplies. So anyway, with that amazing start, Dr. Danny, what are we going to be talking about today? So we're going to dive into a topic about COVID-19. COVID-19. I believe I've heard of this before. Is this what we keep hearing on the news? It's been in the news a lot, and we're going to go into a lot of detail in regards to our patients about how COVID-19 affects uh, patients undergoing cancer treatments and just general information about COVID-19 from our perspective. I think that's a really good idea. I think there's a lot of information out there about COVID-19, and I think sometimes even, I can only speak for myself, even as someone in the medical field, It can be hard to digest it all, synthesize it all, and try to figure out what's going on, let alone patients who are already already vulnerable with cancer. So I think this is hopefully going to be a very informative talk, and Dr. Danny may teach us something today, because I know I need to learn. (laughs) Well, I can't believe, I mean, we're over a year into the pandemic, and, you know, I can remember coming into clinic, I was working at the Baptist South office at the time, and you know, walking in the clinic without a mask on. I mean, can you believe it? Walking into clinic without a mask. I, I couldn't even imagine nowadays doing those, that. Those were the golden, that was the golden era back when we didn't have to wear masks. So I remember when it all began and we were hearing on TV about the impact of the pandemic overseas and how it is, how it is affecting the United States and about how everyone should start wearing masks. Everyone needs to be diligent and start social distancing. I mean, these were all foreign things to us. We had no idea what to expect, no idea how to um, how to handle this from the get-go. We were, you know, listening to our superiors. We were listening to the news. We were listening and reading articles and trying to really be, um, be well-informed for our patients because our patients had lots of questions and we were trying to do our best to make sure that they... Um, could stay safe, you know, especially our patients who are on different types of cancer treatments. Um, thankfully now, you know, I, I pulled out some statistics for you, Dr. Rick. I know you love this. Um, but according to the CDC and here in Duval County, so over 70% of people above the age of 65 are now fully vaccinated. Can you believe that? I can. I think that's a pretty impressive number. I would you know, I've guessed it would be lower, but I'm happy to hear it's higher. I think that's a pretty remarkable accomplishment in such a short amount of time. It is remarkable. And even in St. John's County, they're 
now up to about 83% above the age of 65 are fully vaccinated. Wow, that's unbelievable. And you know, you brought something up, I think, that took me back to last year when the pandemic started. And, you know, I'll be honest, and this is a little sad, but it really didn't hit home for me. There were two ways it hit home. One was I was watching the NBA on that Wednesday night when the Utah Jazz game um, got canceled. And I remember turning to my wife and saying, oh, this must really be a big deal if they're canceling the NBA. And I know that's probably not, you know, what you should be the way you find out that this is going to be a very, you know, serious and important event. But it was. And then a few days later, the to keep it local, the Players Championship, which is um, arguably the, you know, third or fourth biggest golf event of the year that's held every year here locally in Jacksonville at the beaches, you know, they played on Thursday with full sets of fans. And then that next day, Friday, they just canceled the entire tournament. So I think as a diehard sports fan, that's really when it hit me that, oh, our lives are about to change. And this is definitely going to be a, a pretty wild and interesting uh, year, year plus now at this point. Definitely wild and interesting. And I think the thing back when this all started you know, how it affected families and families being told that, hey, your kid can't attend, you know, the last few months of school. You need to homeschool your your children. You need to find a nanny to watch your kids. We, you know, two full, full-time working parents. I mean, it's been extremely hard on a lot of people. Um, you know, in our profession, we're we're trying to keep our patients safe. We're trying to keep our staff and ourselves safe. Um, what have been some of your biggest challenges in in the radiation oncology department in terms of keeping the patients safe who are coming in for treatment and also just you guys and, and your staff uh, staying safe, staying healthy, keeping your families healthy? Yeah, you know, it was tough. I mean, a lot of healthcare facilities closed down or had limited hours. And, you know, I will say our patients who have cancer, you know, it's not really an option for them to hey, let's delay treatment of this very serious, potentially life-threatening situation in some circumstances. Let's let's just wait a few months and see what happens. So we really had to scramble and come up with a way to still see our patients still provide the quality, excellent quality of care that they expect, but do it in a way that, you know, they could feel safe, their families could feel safe. And the last thing you ever want is someone, a patient, to feel like they're putting their spouse or their family at risk because they're coming in to get cancer treatment. So it was a pretty, um, you know, stressful time on us as a clinic because, number one, the information about the virus sort of was coming out at, you know, a crazy pace where we were learning things that seemed like by the day of how it could spread, how it might not spread. And so at the beginning, you know, we really, um, obviously masks, we were very diligent about cleaning. We always are, but we just even more so, you know, just made sure that uh, when a patient came in for a visit or came in for radiation, all surfaces were wiped down every time and multiple times. Um, we did temperature checks at the door. We did screening for COVID symptoms. Um, you know, we recommended patients who had, you know, tested positive or screened positive, I should say, to go get tested. So, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, of the three radiation clinics that we have, um, there's no cases of a person being COVID positive that was linked back to 
it being done in one of our clinics. So it was a blessing it worked out that way, but the short answer is to your question, it was a lot of just due diligence and a lot of sort of following CDC guidelines, following national guidelines. But at the end of the day, as you probably can speak to, Dr. Danny, a lot of our patients, they don't have the luxury of, you know, waiting or putting off a doctor's visit for a few months to see what happens. You know, this is time sensitive stuff. I think that was one of the biggest questions in the beginning is, you know, patients who were either starting a new treatment for a new cancer diagnosis or patients who were on a treatment, what should you do? Should you continue the treatment? Should you wait a little bit until this COVID-19 thing calms down, which obviously in retrospect, you know, that it wasn't going to calm down anytime soon. So, but back then we you had no idea, you know, what to do and, and trying to you know, get some guidance from some of the experts around the country. Um, but, you know, I came across an article in the blood journal, big hematology journal, and it was looking at outcomes of patients with blood cancers, just hematologic, you know, cancers. We're talking about leukemias, lymphomas, et cetera. And what they, you know, saw was that patients are at risk of death from getting COVID-19, not, not just patients who are on treatment. These are patients with any cancer diagnosis, regardless of what treatment they're on, they're at risk at a higher risk of death. So it wasn't so much a deciding that, hey, should this patient continue their treatment or not? I think if, if the, the <clears throat> I think that if you're looking at a patient and saying, okay, it's crucial that this patient finish their cancer treatment, one, because it's a curative treatment, you should continue that treatment and just take every measure possible to keep that patient safe, wear masks, social distance, no unnecessary travel, et cetera. And I think uh, this study really highlighted that, you know, that it's not so much the cancer treatment which are putting patients at risk of uh, a COVID-19 related death, but it's, it's the cancer di diagnosis itself. So I think that if patients are in need of cancer treatment, if we need to, um, you know, administer treatment to hopefully cure a patient or to uh, relieve symptoms which are severe, you know, we're going to continue that cancer treatment and do everything in our power to keep that patient safe. Well, I mean, I think, let's be honest, too, part of it is geography, right? You know, if you were a cancer practice in the middle of New York City at the height of the pandemic, obviously, potentially, they would have to make different decisions. So I think, you know, mm -hmm. the, the thing is what we did, and I think our group did very well, was what are the, what are the statistics, what are the numbers here locally in North Florida, what is the safest way we need to go about doing it? Because as Dr. Danny just alluded to, these patients are at risk. And at the same time, they need their treatment because if you withhold treatment, then they're going to have bad outcomes from their bad diagnosis. So it really was, a, I think, a very um, a time that, you know, certainly it was very, lots of questions um, were, were happening and not a lot of answers were happening, but I think now, you know, even though obviously we're still in the middle of this thing, there's been at least some more established sort of parameters, recommendations, guidelines, and now with the vaccine uptake, obviously, as Dr. Danny mentioned before, locally seems to be moving the needle in the right direction. You know, hopefully we can get to the point sometime in the future where, um, you know, we can get somewhat back to uh, the way things were prior to this all starting. 
I know Rick wants to go and see a basketball game soon. That's what he's talking, yeah, talking so about it's referring really, to. It's really the only real negative of living in Jacksonville is we don't have an NBA team. And yeah. it really hurts my heart. And, and uh, Miami's a long drive away for me to see my heat. And, uh, you know, it's something I can't do every day, unfortunately. Are you saying you don't want to drive an hour and a half, two hours to see the Orlando Magic? So... The Magic are okay. I'll watch the Magic. Just not really, you know, not going to get into it. Plus, my sister lives in Orlando. Then I'd have to, you know, see her and do the whole dog and pony show. I'm just kidding. Love you, Kelly. Uh, but no, that... that Kelly uh, just gave us a one-star review. Just yeah, well, she's listening, though. <laughs> just right now. She's listening, though. So that's what's important, okay? So that's what's important. Uh, but no, I think, you know, it's... Um, I think everyone's obviously ready to get back to quote-unquote regular life, but we also have to realize that the world's changed forever, and some of these things that are happening now are probably going to in place, be in place for a long, long time. And I think, um, you know, thinking otherwise is is uh, probably a fool's errand. Well, I don't know about you, Dr. Rick, but just about every day I'm getting a question about vaccines, mm. the safety of vaccines. Mm-hmm. What vaccine should I get? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, right now, the the two vaccines that are available to patients are one from uh, Pfizer and uh, BioNTech and Moderna. So I received the Pfizer vaccine. Um, we were lucky enough to, uh, to be eligible for the vaccine in, I think, late December uh, through one of the hospitals in the surrounding area here. Um, you know, I think that Pfizer and Moderna vaccine both have had, uh, good data behind their use and really have shown that they're effective at preventing, uh, COVID-19 infection and serious illness related to COVID-19. COVID um, so what are your thoughts, Dr. Rick, as far as if I were to ask you, if I were, uh, you know, a patient coming into your office and I had not received the vaccine yet and I said, Dr. Rick, I'm nervous. I don't know which vaccine to get. I don't know if it's safe. Uh, what would you tell me? Well, I think it's uh, definitely understandable why someone would be nervous or hesitant to get one of these vaccines. You know, I think there was a lot of um, different coverage out there in terms of, you know, how can this be safe? It was developed so quickly. It may or may not be using a technology that's on this order of vaccines relatively new, relatively being in quotes because this technology has been around for a while, but really being implemented for the first time in a in a in a large scale way this go around. So I think you first you know have to acknowledge that people can have a very legitimate reason why they're skeptical or why they may not want to take the vaccine. So I think that's very important. But I think. Really just to me, and I, and I know Dr. Danny's the numbers guy, so I'm going to be going a little bit against type for me here, but I think you just have to look at the numbers and really look at an individual's risk of getting sick if they contracted the virus. And, you know, that obviously you alluded to earlier are patients who are 65 and older, which comprises a majority of the cancer patient population, um, or patients with significant medical comorbidities. Um, patients who are overweight or obese, patients with diabetes, patients with other chronic diseases that we know now in hindsight with 13, 14 months of this pandemic now know that those patients are more likely to get sick and more likely to have 
significant issues and possibly die from COVID-19 if they contract it. So in those patients, I really try to, you know, number one, hear their reasoning for why they may be hesitant, and then two, explain to them sort of what the, um, the data shows in terms of the prevention of serious illness from COVID-19 if they get the vaccine. So that's my approach. I don't know. Do you do anything differently? No, I don't. I, I, I want to make it uh, known as well that when we first were vaccinated back in December, neither Dr. Rick or I were forced into getting vaccinated. We made a personal choice to get vaccinated as well as majority of our peers. Um, you know, we and I, as well as I think Dr. Rick probably looked at the studies and just kind of looked at the safety data which were reported, um, I believe both of them were reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, you know, this little little known journal in the Never atmosphere here. Um, so, you know, we, we did our research, we looked into it. I think the efficacy stands, you know, uh, strong. And, and, you know, when you have a vaccine that's over 90% effective at preventing, uh, you know, a, a vir- viral illness, it's, it's um, you know, I, I think it was more than what people expected when they first came out with with uh, the vaccine. I think, you know, Dr. Fauci was talking about it it being good if it was greater than seventy percent effective, or you know, somewhere in that in that range. But I think, you know, we looked at the data and we decided that it was the right thing to do for us. You know, one because we are seeing patients every day. We you know we go home to our families every day too, and we have to keep them safe. So. I felt comfortable going for and getting the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I think Dr. Rick, you also got the Pfizer vaccine as well. Um, Johnson and Johnson, now they had a vaccine and they have a vaccine, I shouldn't say had, but they have been put on a hold or a pause. And, you know, this is scary to a lot of people, especially I know, you know, some of my colleagues had friends that were texting them right away when this vaccine went on hold and they said, oh my gosh, I just, I just literally got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. What should I do? And, you know, I think my advice is do not, do not, you know, uh, overreact to the situation. I think it is scary when you see that these serious adverse events are happening, but they're happening in very, very tiny numbers. And I think that a majority, and I mean an overwhelming majority of people are not going to get this serious reaction to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And just briefly, it's, it's a, a bad reaction where platelets become activated and your platelet count can go low, which can put you at risk of bleeding. And this condition also puts you at risk of clotting and getting clots in weird places. And it's just very scary when people hear this, but um, it's, it is a very rare complication. I think the FDA was actually meeting today or yesterday to review that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, yesterday is, or today as we record it, um, when this goes out, this probably, you know, will already be resolved in some way. Right. Um, But I think, you know, the other thing that's important to think about is, you know, it's a very, was a very rare event, but a very serious event. And certainly in a very selected group of people in in young women, I believe, I don't know, Dr. Danny, if you have the ages in front of you of the age. I don't have the ages, but you're right. A majority were women who, who had this condition. Yeah. And I think, you know, to me, what it signals is if you're in that age range, I think it was like 40 to 69 or something like that. uh, Women who had these this condition this rare reaction well that's fine if you haven't been vaccinated yet and you're a woman in that age range well of course then don't get the johnson and johnson vaccine but the beauty of this pandemic is 
we have options, right? And um, we have the Pfizer right. vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and I think it's just it, the benefits of getting vaccinated certainly outweigh the risks. But if you're in this risk group where you don't feel comfortable, the the, the beauty of the science and the um, the drug industry, uh, you know, one of the times where they all seem to somewhat band together to uh, do more for the common good for everybody, uh, you, you have options to get the vaccine. And I think that's very important is that you need to also understand that not all of the vaccines have these very rare but serious reactions. Right. And I think it's it's important to note that according to the CDC, as of mid-April, that there's been zero reports of this condition of blood clots with low platelets with either the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. So none. And that's in greater than 180 million vaccinated. So again, this condition that Johnson & Johnson has been associated with is not uh, associated with the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. So again, I, I, I encourage my, um, my wife to become vaccinated and, and my, my father who's in the high risk group. And you know, I think a lot of us have encouraged our family members to become fully vaccinated. And I think it, it allows us to feel more comfortable getting together with one another um, and, and that's been one of the hardest parts about this pandemic is just not being able to see family who you're think, longing to see. I all think, the time. I think you're alluding to what I think is the most important part about the vaccine. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. The messaging should be that if you are vaccinated, you are protected. you have reduced the risk of your ability to transmit the virus if you somehow still had it. And so I think the messaging needs to be if you're vaccinated and you're around other people who are vaccinated, you can interact in a somewhat relatively, quote unquote, pre-March of 2020 way. And I think where the messaging has gotten mixed or lost in the constant updates and constant stream of consciousness that every media platform seems to have these days is we miss that message as to what, what, why, because people always ask, well, why would I get vaccinated if I still have to wear a mask and I still have to do all this? Mm -hmm. Yes, when you're in public and you're around people you don't know if they're vaccinated or not, you don't know what their health conditions are or not, it's just proper to, at this point, wear a mask just for the greater good of others. It's not about yourself who's been vaccinated. It's about others. But when you're around your friends who've all been vaccinated or your family members who've all been vaccinated, that's an incentive to get vaccinated is you can live a relatively normal interactions with those folks. Um, and I think the CDC is slowly adopting that guideline. I emphasis on slowly. I think recently they said outdoor gatherings and vaccinated people in this specific temperature condition may be um, okay. But I think we'll eventually get to the point where because the data is as good as Dr. Danny said with the two, um, the Johnson & Johnson, or excuse me, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, as well as the other vaccines that are keep coming along. I think that's really, to me, the take-home message is one of the benefits to really thinking of strongly about doing getting the vaccine if you haven't already. And so you all would say that it's safer for the patients that are immunocompromised and in active treatment. There's no I think a lot, a lot, big question we get on, you know, our Facebook and on our contact us form is, is it going to give us COVID? Yeah. And that's not. 
I think accurate, right? that's, that's probably one of the most uh, important questions that patients are posing to us is, hey, I'm, I'm either on chemotherapy right now or I'm on a, a cancer treatment which uh, reduces my ability to fight infections. Should I be vaccinated now? Should I wait a little bit? What's, what's the best time to do this? And so there's many guidelines out there. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network is one of the guidelines that we all use to kind of um, help with not only treatment decisions for patients, but also supportive care. And they've also come out with guidelines for COVID-19. And really what I'm using in practice is, is looking at their guidelines along with um, looking at ASCO guidelines. And, and across the board, it is safe for patients who are on chemotherapy, on targeted therapies for cancer, checkpoint inhibitors, which are those immunotherapy drugs. Um, it is safe for those patients to get vaccinated. And what we usually advise patients to do is get vaccinated somewhere in the middle of their cycle. So not you know the day before they come in for their chemotherapy, not the day afterward, but somewhere in the middle of their cycle. If they're on immunotherapy, the same kind of um, the same kind of recommendation holds for that as well. Um, have you had to modify any of your recommendations for your patients on radiation treatments? No, I think in general, um, what the national societies are recommending, as you alluded to, is similar for radiation patients. And mm -hmm. basically the best time to get the vaccine was yesterday. Uh, you know, that there's really no contraindications um, from a radiation standpoint in the vast majority of cases and really you know, it, we tell our patients that if they're eligible, and now in Florida, I think everyone uh, pretty much over the age of 18 is eligible to receive the vaccine. So, uh, you know, it, if they're eligible and they're able to get it, we recommend that wholeheartedly that they move forward because, um, as Dr. Danny alluded to, you know, there is no risk of getting COVID from the vaccine. That's that's zero percent um, mm -hmm. risk of that. So. No, we, it's, it can only help. No, that's exactly right. I think, you know, before COVID-19, we were getting that question about the flu vaccine. You know, I feel like I get the flu every time I get the flu vaccine. But the same holds true for COVID-19. You may feel like you have a viral illness the day after you get the COVID-19 vaccine. That doesn't mean you have COVID-19. It just means your immune system's becoming activated, hopefully making all those good immune cells, which are going to prevent you from getting an infection. So, um, and one of the other questions I think that we, we got posed from patients is, you know, hey, I got the flu vaccine last week. When should I get my COVID-19 vaccine? Um, I was generally telling patients about a month apart from your vaccinations. Recently came across something that said 14 days is fine. You know, I think somewhere between that time, anywhere two to four weeks after uh, you know, if you had a recent vaccination, whether that's for influenza, whether that's for shingles, whatever vaccine it was, I think at least allowing at a minimum two weeks before getting the COVID-19 vaccine. And, and these groups are also prioritizing the COVID-19 vaccine. So do not prioritize other vaccines over COVID-19. I think this is the most important vaccine to get. I think, you know, one of the other things that at least I gets brought up is, well, what can I do to remain healthy or maximize my chances if I were to somehow contract COVID-19? You know, what are the things that you're telling patients, Dr. Danny, about just how they can live their life outside of the vaccine that may, 
you know, other than masking, social distancing, and, and following CDC guidelines in that sense, is there anything you're telling people to do in their personal lives, so diet, exercise, things like that? I mean, definitely. You know, I, I don't think life should stop and, and change abruptly. I think the, the general health maintenance measures should, should remain the same. I think you can exercise safely. I, I think, you know, the weather's been great actually recently where people can get outside and do some activity. You know, season allergies are picking up. That's the only, only downside for some. I know producer Brenna has been shaking her head over here, but, but we can combat those allergies and keep you active, keep you running, riding your bike, going for long walks, um, you know, eating well, eating a balanced diet. None of us are perfect. Dr. Rick and, and I are not perfect in our diets, but all. I think you, you, we try our best to incorporate, you know, all the, all the good stuff, fruits and veggies and, and a variety of different, um, at different proteins that, that keep our body strong. So again, doing, doing well, a majority of the time, we all, we all are, are trying our best. And, and I don't think the activity needs to cease. I don't think the diet needs to cease. I know a lot of people fell off the wagon with their diets during this pandemic. And it's, it's, it's common because there's a lot of stress. People are at home more. Um, a lot of different factors led to people gaining weight and, and falling off their diets. But I think now's the right time to get more active, get outside, patients on treatment. I know there's times where you're going to feel tired, where you're going to feel fatigued. Um, we, we allow for those, those things and allow for your body to recover to hopefully get more active. And we also you know, like to see patients in clinic and, and try to improve upon some of those you know, cancer-related uh, either the treatment symptoms or, or if it's, if the symptoms are from the cancer, which are limiting your activity level, come in and see us and, and, and we'll work on those things. And I think it's important too, just to keep acknowledging, um, you know, one of the biggest risk factors of if you could track COVID-19 of, well, what are my risks of getting sick and, you know, being overweight or obese or having some of these chronic conditions certainly puts you at risk of more a higher chance of medical issues. So even Dr. Danny alluded to our cancer patients, but you have to also think about the caregivers of those patients, the families of those patients. You know, if you're listening and you have a patient or a loved one who's getting treatment for cancer, also remember to take care of yourself. You know, physical health, mental health, um, you know, those sort of things are extremely important um, because now is not the time to binge junk food and gain a bunch of weight, even though it's very easy to do with a lot of us working from home or le you know less active than we used to be. But it's it's really important and I think shines a light on this country's need to really emphasize um, you know activity, physical activity, healthy eating, and healthy living because you know the majority of these patients who get real sick, you know, unfortunately don't have that. And it's just getting more and more common um, in this country. So you should never beat yourself up if you're in that situation or if you feel like you have weight to lose or a better diet to eat. There's never a good time. There's never an easy time, I should say, to make changes. But the best time to make changes was yesterday. So, you know, there's, mm -hmm. it's it's starting now and, and really sticking to something that, you know, you can you can enjoy and something you can actually benefit from in the long run. So, Dr. Rick, I also got asked the question, too, um, you know, should I receive both doses of the vaccine, you know, whether that's the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine? 
Um, are there times where maybe I shouldn't get the second dose? Hey, if I've had the COVID-19 infection three months prior, if I've, you know, had a bad reaction with the first vaccine, what, what do you recommend? So um, what the CDC says is that for severe allergic reactions requiring treatment with epinephrine or some other um, some other treatment that the second dose should be held. So you should not get the second dose if you have a serious allergic reaction. Also immediate reactions, which I actually wasn't aware of this um, until I read a little bit more about it, but patients who had an immediate reaction to the vaccine, you know, within hours of, hours of getting it while um, either they were still at the facility where they got the vaccine or soon after they left, they actually are saying, hold off on that second dose. Um, but, you know, by and large, I think there's not great data out there right now saying one way or another whether one dose is enough for patients who have previously had the COVID-19 infection. Um, I get that question a lot. I think it's still up in the air. I've read some articles stating maybe one dose is enough, but again, it's not by any means in the guidelines to do that or, or the CDC is not supporting that so far. Um, but again, we get posed these questions all the time, um, you know, and we, we do our own research and again, you know, I think what we're doing is trying to do what's best for the patient and, and using evidence that, that is out there to support whatever recommendation we're making. I think it's also important that, you know, I think Dr. Danny feels the same way. So I'll speak for both of us. I think it's important to also be humble with this and realize that this data is changing quite a bit. The recommendations change quite a bit. We're learning more day in and day out from the vaccine, from the virus, from how it's, you know, all these things. So I think having that humility is extremely important. And by no means are we saying that we have all the answers. We can only give you the answers to the best of current knowledge and, and standards. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I think Dr. Danny eloquently has summarized a lot of that information, but it's just important to realize that you can't get frustrated if what you're told is the right thing to do a month ago may or may not be what the data suggests to do this month. It doesn't mean, you know, there's a nefarious or, you know, someone's trying to pull something when things change. This is how science is. Science is constantly evolving. We're constantly asking questions and trying to answer those questions and so I think it's um, just something to keep in mind is that what we're telling you now may not apply six months from now it's only really where are we at today and that's and I think that's just something to acknowledge and I don't know about you Dr. Rick but do you use the media as your end-all be-all to recommendations on COVID-19? So if by media you mean ESPN, TheRinger.com, <laughs> and sports uh, media, then yes, I do use it to be You my... get all your information. Yes. yes. Uh, I'll yes. be honest. I'm not a big consumer of media, um, especially television media. Uh, I just... Podcast, doesn't, yes. Doesn't do it for me. Uh, I learned mostly from you, Dr. Danny. I appreciate um, it. And so, no, I think, you know... Staying up to date in the medical literature is very important for both of us and for any physician, hopefully. And so reading, you know, actual medical journal data is sort of our job with the knowledge that we have and then synthesizing it and translating it into evidence-based recommendations for ourselves and for patients is what that's what we're 
our job. That's what we're here for. And so the problem is when people who don't aren't supposed to do that or don't have the ability to do that or take whatever they want and say whatever they want, I think it, um, it lends itself to a lot of the questions we're being asked on a daily basis is just because of the messaging. And I think so, you know, for me, if it's not sports-related media content, <laughs> I'm not really consuming it. I don't know. What about you, Dr. Danny? You're looking at me like I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoy ESPN a lot. I'm not going to lie. I, I, but I don't, I don't use them as my uh, COVID-19 reference, as, as Dr. Fair. Rick uh, you know, alluded to. We, we do our own reading. And again, I think an important point here, too, is you know, not in, in our daily practice, but when we do our own research, uh, you know, on topics like this, COVID-19, et cetera, you're, you're going to look at articles, you're going to look, you're going to look a little bit into the media outlets and see what's out there, what's new, because it's hard to keep up, you know, I mean, there's new stuff coming out all the time. But most articles which are published, and it's definitely true in our field, you know, hematology, oncology, is that a lot of them aren't practice changing. And so, you can't look at an article and say, this is the end all be all. This is a, a, the new recommendation because most articles published are not going to change the current guidelines. Um, so you always, like Dr. Rick said, have to synthesize the data, make your own opinions of it too. You know, read, read the article, make your own opinion, talk to your you know, providers, talk to your family. Um, you know, we all have to do our part to, uh, to get through this all. So we've heard a lot about your favorite sports. Dr. Danny, what do you like? What are your sports? Do you like sports? I do like sports. Uh, Dr. Rick and I, we haven't gone into this yet, but we do fancy ourselves out at the golf course every once in a while. Now, Dr. Rick goes more than me. Radiation oncologists somehow have a little more time than us medical oncologists. Shots might. fired, I guess? <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> That's untrue, but we do like going out on the course and you know swinging and getting our swinging. <laughs> Your verbiage is swinging the golf clubs. Okay, <laughs> struggling over here. I think uh, I think one of you might be the more avid golfer, and uh, don't think it's you, Dr. <laughs> yeah, somehow as I said, doesn't golf as much, as but I still said. somehow he played in high school, I think, right? I did play in high school. Yeah, that, those were those were the golden days, um, where I had a lot of time, and I could go out golfing just about every day, with the exception of uh, baseball season. So, but yeah, no, Doctor Rick and I love going out to the golf course. Um, I think you know, golf's one of the activities during the COVID nineteen pandemic, which has really boomed because it's an outdoor activity. You can keep social distancing and you know we like working on our games a little bit and uh dr rick has been working on his game quite a bit this year um he's been he's been really excelling and and uh, have you joined a league already dr rick is that right? no no i wish i wish i could say i joined the, the tour no i would be a different podcast we'd be hosting uh, <laughs> if, if i did that no but um you know, I think just I, as someone who was too stupid, unlike Dr. Danny in high school, to play golf when I was younger because I found it too boring and too slow when I was a kid and wanted to play other sports, uh, I'm regretting that decision on a daily basis because I know I would be better if I had. But no, I think to Dr. Danny's point, COVID really has made the game popular. You're playing more often. And unfortunately, I can't rope enough people at our 
brittle old ages with our breaking down bodies to play basketball anymore or do anything like that because we'd probably end up in the emergency department. And uh, I would love to get on the court. I mean, I, you know, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the risk of injury is much higher on the basketball court than on the golf course. I don't know. I've seen you guys drive a golf cart at a uh, touche. You're not wrong. So. <laughs> again, why, why are you airing this out again? <laughs> Told you that in confidence, producer Brenna. Yeah, witness it. But first you know what? Hand. Dr. Rick downplays his game a little bit. I mean, he went from never golfing in high school to now being very competitive and oftentimes beating me. So don't downplay your game, Dr. Rick. So do you think you guys are going to win at the Jim Swanigan Memorial Golf Tournament this year? So far, we have yet to win. Can we set the that tournament? As a goal? Yeah. I think, I think there's some. I think there's some sketchy. Accounting going on in the other groups, you know, for a charity golf tournament, which I know we'll talk more about, but helps benefit the Patient Assistance Foundation that our company does. I feel like there's a lot of scheming going on for a charity event. Kind of, you know, makes you wonder. What do you think, Dr. Danny? Maybe, maybe, Rick. Yeah, I think... uh... You know, I think we've we tried to pull in a little bit more talent yes, to our yes. team. Yes, we needed the talent. Infusion. And um, we were still unsuccessful last year. We mm-hmm. wish we had more success than we did. But we're looking forward to another year. Definitely. I just equate us to the first year LeBron joined the Heat. <laughs> so we had LeBron, Wade, and Bosh ready to go. Yeah. But they just needed more role players around them. Right. And that second year is when they really took the championship. So I think between me, you, and a couple ringers, we, we got a shot this year. We do. We need to. I'm going to hold you to this. I'm going to play this back at the tournament over this week. We need to strategically pick our, our team. We need a putter, someone that is one putter. Hold on. I want to go back to this real quick. If she's going to play this at the tournament, I'd like to call out all of the groups that I watch you hit the ball, yet somehow everyone's coming in at 20 under par. Seems suspicious. Seems suspicious. 20 under par is very suspicious. <laughs> I agree. I agree with Dr. Rick. Dr. Danny's too uh, meek to say it, but we see you're cheating. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and sometimes literally see you cheating. <laughs> We're going to have drones this year for the tournament, <laughs> following all the golfers. It'll be good. But. but we're looking forward to it. I mean, it's a great event every year. I think our Patient Assistance Foundation um, you know, holds a great tournament. It's for a great cause. Uh, we, you know, the donations that roll in to help our patients, um, are just, you know, just wonderful. I think it, it helps the practice. It helps our patients undergoing treatment. Couldn't ask for anything more. Right, Dr. Rick? Agree completely. Thanks so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of the Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or just want to say hi, and... Producer Brenner always wants to say hi. Yeah. You can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook. And our tagline on Twitter and Instagram is underscore CSNF. And I still don't see TikTok on here. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll get there. Rick and his TikTok.
As always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time and hope you've learned something today. I know Dr. Rick has. You always teach me everything I know, Dr. Danny. I appreciate it. Not true, but I'll take it. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed, ask questions, and and tune tune in in next time. time.